In the world of AI news, it's inevitable we should talk about something most of us have already heard about. This week, something hit the news sources all across the world, and it upset a lot of people. Here's the way it appeared in the New York Times online. Explicit deepfake images of Taylor Swift elude safeguards and swamp social media. In addition, oh, this came out on January 26th. You'll see that up behind me. ABC chimed in as well and said this. The White House press secretary told ABC News Friday they are alarmed by what happened to Swift online and that Congress should take legislative action. So I don't know if all of this attention uh, is because it's Taylor Swift that this is happening to, but I suspect it is. Now, I wanted to put this up here for a reason. It's a twofold. I wanted to show, share with you something in AI news, but I also wanted to share with you something that some might need to hear, whether it's someone here or someone that's listening online later. If you hear such news and you're tempted to go try to see said images, you have a problem. And you are not going to be blessed by God thinking that way. You will go through some hard lessons if you don't listen to the wisdom I'm giving you now. If you're tempted to go check out some kind of a inappropriate image because you heard it in the news, you have a problem. And God is not pleased with that kind of thinking. If you feel like I was targeting you, I wasn't. But God was. You needed to hear that if that really got to you. So, beyond artificial intelligence, that's the series we're going through. We're going through uh, Proverbs and James. When things don't make sense, God's word still does. We're in Proverbs chapter 12. The title of the message is another one of those long string of subjects, character, support, kindness, reasonableness, equanimity, and more. And by and more today, whatever it takes to get to the number 14 is our more. Proverbs chapters 10 to 24, I'll remind you, are each compilations of short, sometimes unrelated Proverbs of Solomon, the sage of the world. Repentance is implored, encouraged, and required. So we'll jump right into the text. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Huh. Stupid is in the Bible? <laughs> yeah. And guess what? Stupid is all around. But we like to say that you don't call somebody stupid because that's an insult, it's unkind. And so there are some families that would even teach their children, don't say that, that's, a, that's like a cuss word, and that, that's not a bad thing. 
But understand, there is such a thing as foolishness. So if you want to replace the word stupid with foolishness, go right ahead. That's what it means. But there's more to it, and we'll look at that in just a minute. I want to go ahead and show you the King James rendition of this, because that word stupid bothers people so much. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. I want to focus on one word here that's connected to another. Look at this word, discipline. And down in the King James, instruction. Those two are translated from a Hebrew word that looks like this. You'll see it pop up behind me. The way you say it is muser. And it equals, or it means, morality correction. That's the best way I know how to describe it based on everything I looked at. It's one of those words that is rather uh, difficult to put into English. So morality correction is probably a good way to word that. So whoever loves morality correction loves knowledge. And the King James, look at this, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. What is brutish? It means acting more like an animal than a human. Animalistic. So still, we're back to foolish and stupid. So those who don't like to have morality correction are foolish, stupid, animalistic. Think about how much sense that makes. Because the world in which we live is chock full of people who want to make it where there is no morality. Just do whatever you want. Whatever feels good, do that thing. I had a preacher tell me that he uh, pulled up behind a car that had a bumper sticker on it that said, do whatever feels good twice. And the preacher said, so I rammed him. <laughs> twice. <laughs> You see, it doesn't work that way. People who say this don't want you to really do whatever feels good. Because if I feel like it's going to feel good to me to punch you in the face, you don't want me to do that. So the, you could go wherever you want with that, but uh, I'm just keeping it light because it's in church. <clears throat> but we should love morality correction because if you want to please the Lord, you want to... Do the right thing. So you need to know the right thing. And if you're doing the wrong thing, you need somebody to call you out on it and help you. And some of us are good at that. Some of us like to correct other people. Let me help you out if that's you. If you like to correct other people, remember to protect their dignity as best you can. It's usually not great to correct people in front of other people, unless they're doing the foolish thing in front of other people and they're claiming to be a leader, then maybe they need to be called out while they're doing it in front of other people. But most of the time, we can protect other people's dignity, and you'll get a lot further confronting someone just between the two of you than you will if you do it in a group. Does that make sense? So think about how that's going to be taken when you give it, because there really are foolish people out there who don't They'd rather stay wrong than be corrected. And unfortunately, there's times where I think that's been me. It doesn't feel good to be corrected. So let's not be people who are like that. Let's be people who are considered wise. 
That's just verse one. We got a whole bunch to get through. Thank God we're not getting all the way through 30 verses this morning, but there's still a lot. We'll continue with verse two. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. There's so much good here. And if you pick it apart, you can see verse 2, a good man obtains favor from the Lord. That just fits. It makes sense. Not even... Not even uh, something that you might think we should even be told, but we should be reminded. Uh, But a man of evil devices, he condemns. And it's interesting that no one is established by wickedness. In other words, your wickedness is not going to help you be firm, but the root of the righteous will never be removed. It's solid. You know people in your life who've influenced you who were righteous, And you remember long after they're gone, what they planted in you. This part about an excellent wife being a crown of her husband, that's true. It's great to be a husband who is proud of his wife. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. It's self-explanatory. But I'm going to move on to verses 6 through 8 here, or 6 through 9. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. It's interesting that people who are wicked, people who are ready with wicked words, they're waiting to harm other people. But the mouth of the upright delivers them. Those people that are upright with the Lord actually help other people. Wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. That is true. A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. That's true. And remember when I told you before that when you're going through Proverbs like this, because there's just one one liner after one liner after one liner, they're so good. You really should have a highlighter handy when you're going through Proverbs in your own personal reading. Verse 9 would be one that I would highlight. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. In other words, it's better to be humble and well off enough to pay somebody else to do some things you don't want to do or don't have time to do. Better to be that person and humble than to be a person that pretends to have everything together but you don't. Pretend to be someone who's doing quite well, but you can't even take care of your own needs. 
It continues. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. And the first part of this is one that I like to turn to when anybody is ever seen being cruel to an animal, because it says a lot about a person that is cruel to their animal. And, and if you want to go back in time and think about what they were thinking about when these proverbs were dispensed, this would likely be an animal that is used for whatever purpose, uh, to, for the benefit of the owner. Let's say it could be a mule that's going to carry things. You have a stubborn mule, you want to try to get it to do what you want it to do, you don't have to do it with cruelty. But some people would use cruelty. And people that would be cruel to animals, in God's words, those people are wicked. But those that are kind to animals, well, maybe they're following God's direction. That is a good thing. But even those that are cruel to their animals, um, what what they think is merciful is still cruel. That's what this is saying. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So there's something to be said about where you put your faith. If you spend a whole lot of time on your gambling pursuits, you're going to find yourself poorer and poorer and poorer. In case you don't know, the house always wins in the end. I mean, yes, every now and then there'll be somebody Somebody in your family might say, you know what? I've won $6,000 at the casino this weekend. Yeah, tell me that gambling's foolish. I, I won $6,000. And they won't tell you that they spend $12,000 getting there. They won't tell you that they couldn't pay their bills because they wasted so much. Just look at the casino. Just look around. How do they pay for all that? Because the house always wins. If, let me clue you in, if, in case you don't know. Now they don't use mechanical slot machines, right? You've, you've seen them. They're computerized. It's a computer. You know, you know who programs those computers. It's, it's whoever's running the casino. And it's monitored by the state. They have regulations. You can only win so much. You have to give some away to the people that are gambling. You understand what that means. The house is always going to win. They're always going to be bringing in tons of money. So they exist as a business. And they are regulated by the government that they have to give some of it away every now and then, which is okay with them because that whets the appetite of people who are addicted to gambling. They keep thinking, I'm going to hit it big. And some people chase other fantasies, whatever it may be. But God wants us to be reasonable. And he also wants us to actually work with diligence. 
with tenacity. If you read through Proverbs, you don't have to go far to see how God abhors laziness. He wants us to work, work smart, work hard. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, which is a shame, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. It's a wonderful thing. Verse 13, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. In other words, you're supposed to watch what you say. An evil man does not do that, and they trap themselves. Righteous man watches what he says. And if you want to take a peek into James chapter 3, you'll learn the tongue can be such an evil thing. You have to try to master what you say. The way I say it is consider the consequences of your words before you say them. Carefully calculate the consequences of your words before you say them. And since I mentioned it, let's go ahead and look in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that word perfect, you know, just right is a great translation. But I find it quite intriguing that the New Testament book of wisdom starts off very similarly to a snapshot of the world of Solomon, especially in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Because when Solomon asked for wisdom, if you'll recall, it wasn't just slipped into his toga while he was sleeping. He asked for wisdom when he was 15 or 16 years old. He asked for wisdom, and the way God gave it to him is he allowed him to experience everything in life that anybody could dream of experiencing. And what he learned in the end was, without God, it's all worthless. And then, so he had to go through so much trouble. And listen, listen to James. You're supposed to count it joy when you... Go through hard stuff. Yeah, because that's how you learn. But the testing of your faith, it produces tenacity. That's what I like to replace with the word steadfastness. Tenacity. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, just right, and complete, lacking in nothing. So if you are going to try to sneak out of here or at least look at your phone every now and then when the clock strikes 12 to see how whichever team you're cheering on in the NFL is doing, I can tell you this. Those people that are playing in today's game, those people have proven they have tenacity. They, they, are, they, they stick it out. They keep pushing forward and pushing and pushing. That's how they make it to that level of competition. You have to have a tenacious attitude or you're not going to go very far in any competition of any kind. And so in this world... Christians, we're going to be given trials. We're going to go through hard times. But have the tenacity that God has given you. Keep pressing forward. That's what James is saying. And consider it a joy that you're going through difficult times because it's going to produce tenaciousness. It continues in 
and uh, before we show this next uh, scripture, I want to tell you, I say on a regular basis, out of all the counseling books I have read, and I've read a lot, there is a one one-liner that is the most beneficial one-liner I've ever read. And it happens to appear in James. It'll be in this text. James chapter 1, verse 19, a little bit further in that first chapter. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The part that I said is the one-liner that I think is the best out of all the counseling books I've ever read is this part you'll see highlighted up behind me. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So at the very beginning, you need to be one who aims to understand what the other person is trying to communicate or is communicating. That's quick to hear. You're earnestly wanting to know what's being communicated or what they are intending to communicate. And slow to speak, carefully calculate the consequences of your words, and slow to become angry because that's not of God. You can't be quick to anger. Quick to anger is not of God. You can have anger, but it needs to be slow to anger. If you, if you have a quick temper, clearly that is not of God. And by the way, your quick temper makes everyone else uncomfortable to be around you when you're doing that. If you have a quick temper, you have a lack of self-control. If you have a quick temper, you are creating a hostile environment when you're expressing that quick temper. And when you're talking to couples, if you're trying to help them get through their struggles, this is a very good one-liner. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And Solomon just kind of gave us some of that and his advice in the text we just read. But we'll move on. Verse 14 and following. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. And the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. <laughs> Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Now, there's a note I left up behind me on the screen that's in my English Standard Version, and it could be translated because literally it means whoever breathes out the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. And you might think, why, why would we have to have that written? Wouldn't we know this? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we actually listen to liars. Don't. Verse 15 is one I would highlight. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. I would highlight that because I need to read it more and more. Continuing, 
verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Now, I want you to pay careful attention to the wording here. Now, the first part, this idea of the thrust of a sword, how many in here have ever done sword fighting? Nobody. Wow. Well, I uh, did it unofficially. I had one of my best friends was a sword fighter. And uh, in martial arts, I um, used a similar weapon. And I realized that my martial arts training in that particular weapon was nowhere near the supremacy of my friend's skills in sword fighting. So we did some sparring. And I got to tell you, from the very first time I learned that what I thought I needed to do with the sword was not as devastating as what he knew how to do. Because when you get poked, you feel it. And you realize that would be devastating if that was real. It's painful. It's devastating. It can destroy with a thrust. You might maim with a strike, but you will destroy with a thrust. Internal organs are involved. But it's interesting, the contrast, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Maybe you've, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been going through so much that somebody has said such cruel things to you, and you're just devastated. They have gotten to your internal organs, and it's tearing you up. And you talk to somebody, a sage. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your dad grandparent, teacher, coach, and somebody says exactly what you needed to hear to help you heal. You been there? Well, if you have, then you have learned what you need to be for other people. You see what God does with his word? He motivates. He's doing what he's telling us to do with his written word. What a wise Lord. But if you look at that second line there, uh, second verse, Proverbs 12, 19, that word forever, that disturbs a lot of us. You say, truthful lips endure forever. What? Forever? It's It's a difficult Hebrew word to translate, and I'll give it to you literally. It's actually two Hebrew words, and it would be better translated. We can mark out the word forever, to the future and further. Truthful lips endure to the future and further. You see, because when you have that conversation and somebody says the truth to you, they give you the facts unvarnished just as you need it. The truth, the people that speak the truth, those people's words, they carry on for a long ways. Help us get through life. It's a wonderful thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but in this particular chapter, we keep hearing about using our words carefully. But notice the last verse on the slide. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. 
Do bad things happen to good people? Well, yes. But the reality is, in the end, the righteous are blessed. But the wicked are filled with all kinds of trouble. You see, because even when the righteous is going through difficult times, they know they did the right thing to please the Lord, so they have peace. And the wicked never get that. I'll remind you that there's a New Testament verse that says something very similar. It's my favorite. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. So in other words, if you want to say it in a modern vernacular, if you love God and you're following His calling, it's all going to work out. We'll continue. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 and following. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of a fool proclaims folly. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. This is kind of a, an interesting situation. I put myself in here. I put these words on the slide behind me. I suggested to you to highlight special ones that just really jump out at you in, in this particular situation. I would highlight all of them. So that's what we're doing right now. All of these need to be highlighted in my Bible. From the beginning, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. He doesn't like it when we are deceitful, dishonest, when we tell lies. But those who are steadfast in their faith are his delight. A prudent man, one who thinks out the consequences of his actions and words, Ahead of time, a prudent man conceals knowledge. What? Just because you know something doesn't mean you always need to share it. Just because you have thoughts in your head doesn't mean it needs to fly out of your mouth. And a prudent person knows this. Sometimes you just keep silent, just like Jesus did at the right time. But the heart of a of fools proclaims folly. They just do whatever and say whatever. Who cares? And everybody can tell they are foolish. It's interesting, verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule. Those who are tenacious, they stick with it, they keep at it. They'll end up in leadership. While the slothful, what do you think of when you think of a sloth? That's what you're supposed to think of. Is it ever going to get there? Are they ever going to learn? Are they going to keep repeating the same mistakes? That's the idea. The sloth is just moving so slowly. They're not going to accomplish anything because they're not trying. And so, the slothful, well, they're not going to wind up in leadership. They're going to wind up doing manual labor because they're not trying. They're not aiming any higher. They're going to be stuck at the low level because they're not aiming any higher. Well, there's wisdom. Now look at this, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. It reminds me of a text I brought up last week 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. You'll see it on the screen behind me. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. It's what we're supposed to do. Let me remind you what Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he said, Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? But I tell you, it's quite difficult when you're in the middle of struggling with those types of things. When you're, when you're struggling with, okay, how, how am I going to pay the bills? Just last night, I had a friend of mine tell me something that I'm required to keep in confidence, so I can't say who it is. But this particular individual had a very secure, high-paying job that helped pay the bills in the family. And they lost their job because a person decided to come back to work. And the way it's set up, this is a state job. That person gets bumped, the one that's in the position, because the other person came back. So now they don't have their job. And I can tell you, if you're that person, you'll be thinking, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to sleep thinking about how I'm going to pay my bills? So when Jesus says something like this, you might read it and go, I don't know how to do that. How am I not going to worry about these things? These are real things I have to take care of, and now I don't have the ability. He says a few more things. He talks about, in the context there, different things you, you should read, but I want to move on because this is not our text. I'm just going to move on in Matthew chapter 6, verse 32, a little bit further down. He says, For the Gentiles, non-believers, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, all your physical needs. He knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And if you're going to highlight in Matthew in this particular text, I would highlight, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You'll see that highlighted behind me. Why would I highlight that? Because, <laughs> let me tell you something about the therapy involved in thinking the way Jesus is trying to get us to think. When we're going through struggles in life, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to get through what's in front of me? Whatever your struggle is, how am I going to get through this? God knows you ne your needs, and He's going to take care of you. But if you seek first the kingdom, do what Jesus wants you to do. Focus on the gospel, sharing it with others, and encourage one another, and, and, and do whatever it is that you need to be doing for the cause of Christ. If that's your focus, number one thing is Jesus, pleasing Jesus. And what happens is, so let's say you've got this, this is my priority. I need to find a job and I need to get to work and I don't need to pay the bills and all. That's important. Yes, that's a priority. But if the number one thing is seeking Jesus, seeking to do the kingdom work, if Jesus is number one, even though this is important, it's a high number two. If this is your focus, it says all these things will be added to you. He will take care of the other. You don't, don't. Don't say, well, he's just going to provide me a job. And he, not, not that. But focus on this, making Jesus number one. And the, what happens is you're not focused on your struggles and your problems. You're not coddling them. You're dealing with them. But the number one priority is pleasing Jesus. 
If you do that, you're not focused on the negative, you're focused on the good. And that is good therapy. I want to help you with that. I know I did this a couple years ago. I want to do it again. I want to play a video. It's available online. You can find my YouTube channel, GunCar, G-U-N-C-A-R-R, and look for C-Level, S-E-E, Level. And you'll find this. Pay attention. So the church in which I served for 18 years didn't have this video. I created that during COVID. But the church where I served for 18 years uh, during COVID, people kept asking me for the chart I made, which was similar like to that, where the Colossians 3 quote is there, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The concept of feeling like you're drowning with all the circumstances of life. But if you look to Jesus... Focus on what we're supposed to be focused on. You can get through the hard times, and they will pass. People kept bringing this up during COVID, asking me for the chart <laughs> that I, they had heard me use in messages over the years. I thought, okay, I need to make a video. I hope that is helpful to you. Solomon is telling us, don't be anxious. Proverbs chapter 12, verses 26 to 28, as we wrap up Proverbs chapter 12, here we go. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. And the path of the righteous is life, and in its pathway... There is no death. This is an allusion to heaven. Notice in verse 26, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor. 
but the way of the wicked leads them astray. That's the way it works. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you have gotten involved with other people you shouldn't and get led astray. But I just had an individual tell me recently that someone in his life, his family, he didn't have a great father figure in his life. He didn't even have a great mother figure. But he said that there was a man who came into his life that showed him what a good father is like. And that's what this is talking about. A a righteous person guides others who need the guidance, but the wicked lead them away. Away from what God wants them to be doing, astray. Whoever is slothful, there it is again. You think of a sloth. Well, not roast his game, which means it spoils. He doesn't get to enjoy what he should be eating. But the diligent man will gain precious wealth. And those of us who try to stay right with God and stay on that path, we've got good things ahead. Let's review. Good things. There's 14 I mentioned before. Let's go through them one at a time quickly. First of all, here in our text, we learn about having character. Multiple times we're told what a righteous person would do. And it revolves around morality. If you'll remember, we have to delight in morality correction. And we're supposed to provide morality correction. And then another word, support We are supposed to encourage others, build others up, not tear them down. Evil people say things that tear you up on the inside. But godly people say things that repair that damage. Kindness. We talked about how people that are cruel to animals are cruel people. In fact, in modern times, we've learned that if kids do cruel things to animals, they might end up in a life of crime. There's a propensity. Reasonableness. Remember that word prudent? Someone who thinks about the consequences of their words or actions and acts accordingly? That's being reasonable. Equanimity, it's a fascinating thing to me that this keeps coming up as we go through Proverbs. If you're going to get anywhere in being an influential person, you really need equanimity because when you lose your cool, the people around you no longer respect you. And we talk about consequences the slothful person will wind up doing menial jobs. A person who has tenacity in their work ethic will end up in leadership, which is closely related to accountability. One of those things that is largely missing in all of those people that I dealt with for three years in the prison system, accountability. They don't understand that, and they don't understand consequences. But according to the chapter we just read, God will hold people accountable. 
There will be consequences for whether or not we choose to live for God or live as a fool. Teachability. This will keep coming up as we go through Proverbs, navigating through all the different subject material. You will continue to see if you're going to be a person that pleases the Lord, you have to be teachable. It's one of those things Jesus was talking about when he said that, hey, let those kids come to me. Don't keep them from me. And you have to be like a child if you want any part of the kingdom. Children are are always wanting to know a lot of things. What's that mean? What's that do? Why are we doing this? All that kind of stuff. Kids are just eager to know. Adults, on the other hand, we get to a point like, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. I already knew that. It's, and preachers, I've told you this before, when you have a room full of preachers, that's the worst. We're, we're in a room like no preacher wants to admit that we didn't know something because we're supposed to be sages. But it's great to be teachable. Tenacity, that keeps coming up. If you have tenacious, a tenacious work ethic, a tenacious attitude, you just keep pushing on. You have this steadfast faithfulness. It will be rewarded. Encouragement. That's one of those things we must do for others. There are people that say, don't need church. Why should I need to go to church? I, don't need, I can do church in my home. During COVID, we really learned that. We can just do church in our homes. We don't need to go to a physical building and do church. Well, God has a, another plan, and He intends for us to encourage one another and build one another up. And it's not something that you can do very well just at a distance. Another thing, he's got his fellowship for us, and that can't be done electronically. Fellowship is when you're hanging out with other people physically. And there's a wonderful thing that can happen when you do that on a regular basis and purposely try to encourage one another. We talked about influence. Those of us that are righteous, those of us that know how to hold our tongue when we're supposed to, those of us that can control our tempers, we can have influence. That leads us to self-control. If you haven't noticed, as we march through Proverbs, it's all about self-control. One of the fruits of the Spirit, Christians, we're supposed to exemplify self-control. It's about self-examination as well. How are you going to do better if you don't ever evaluate yourself? If you don't decide to look at yourself and say, can I do better? It's one of the sick things that we seem to get to a point where we're comfortable right where we are. We don't want to be challenged. We, we don't want to make changes. We get comfortable. But we need to self-exam. When we're reading Scripture and like, oh, he really needed to hear that. Oh, she needed to hear that. Oh, my goodness, I know who needs to hear this. Guess what? You needed to hear it. That's why it's here in your Bible. And then the last piece, humility. I don't know if you noticed that. Here is Solomon saying it's better to be lowly and still have a servant. And that that can be translated, that can be understood as humble. 
but it also should be understood as barely having the ability to pay for said servant, to be poor. Better to be poor and still have the ability to pay someone to do something you can't do or don't want to do than to be someone who acts like they are perfectly fine, but they are struggling. Humility. Solomon, the wisest man that would walk the planet besides Jesus, God in the flesh, still considered probably the most wealthy man that's ever walked the planet. And yet, he says you must have humility. This is God inspiring him to write this. You do understand this, right? This is for us to read and apply. Let's pray. God, thank you for teaching us through your word. So many things in such a, just in one chapter, such, so few words, you have so much wisdom for us. God, forgive us when we pass over things that you want us to pay attention to. Help us to draw near to the instruction you're trying to give us. Lord, we thank you for being a God who is so wise and has thought things through with our best interests in mind. Forgive us when we don't prioritize what you want over what we want. Help us as we try to get through this life here on this earth because we do want to please you. So we ask for your guidance. We ask you to put people in our path that will guide us. Put people in our path that we can guide. God, we ask that you would continue to move us even beyond this day further and deeper into your word so that we can represent you well. May you be pleased. In Jesus' name, amen.